Come join the conversation, the show that you've been wanting. Keep it real with no filter. Weekly we share discussions. WWSD interviewing creative guests, talking the creative process and sharing all the influences from TV and film. Emmy nominated and winning. Yeah, they coming through. Actors and comedians too. Directors and writers, we're more than a few. Masters of their craft. Yes, tune in. You gotta see this the podcast that you need. WWSD. Welcome to the WWSD podcast. Weekly, we share discussions with interesting and creative people. I'm your host, Josh, and as always, I'm joined by my buddy and co-host, Seamus. How's it going, Seamus? Doing great, man. I'm excited for tonight. Yeah, me too. So tell us who we have on. Tonight, we have a special guest, comedian A.J. Wilkerson. A.J. is a recent winner of the 2020 Portland Comedy Festival and has been the opening actor Jason Mews for of Jane Saw Bob. Uh, we recently saw A.J. perform out in Naples. He was hysterical. I actually thought he was funnier than Jay. Uh, much funnier. He, like Literally, my wife was on the ground laughing at your stuff. It was awesome. <laughs> you, you were very good. And we're really excited to have him on tonight. Thank you, A.J., for coming out. Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Thank you, guys. Yeah, this has all been really fun. Like A lot's happened in a very short period of time for me. So. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. So your your current tour, so your your opening for Jason Muse, is that what you're on right now uh, in New York for? Is the Jason Muse tour? Yeah, that's what okay. I'm that's what I'm up here for is with Jay. When you guys saw me, that was literally our first week of shows together. Oh, oh okay. shit. So that's awesome. I uh yeah, so I won a contest at the Comedy Club of Kansas City. And then in December, because I won that contest, I got to open for Jay in Kansas City. But it was like a one night, 10 minute spot on a Thursday night. But it went so well. uh, Like after that show, I walked off stage and in the green room, Jay was like, yo, like, do you want to come on the road with me? Oh, holy shit. And so I ended up, I stayed the whole weekend in Kansas City. We did every show there. And then that was his last show of 2020. So he's like, as soon as we start figuring out 2021, like we'll start sending you dates and stuff. So it just worked out that we started in Florida where I'm from. So were you expecting like when you won that comedy thing, were you expecting it to like blow up? Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was going to be a stepping stone. I figured like, you know, like I'll get to open for him. Maybe I'll get to take like a picture with him or something. How many, uh, how many shows have you guys done so far? Uh, we did seven in Florida and then there were, we didn't have any shows last week. So I started driving up here. So this is literally our second week of shows. So we're doing five shows up here this week. Gotcha. And then this weekend, him and Kevin Smith are going to be here because they're doing the grand opening event for their, uh, the new Secret location stash. of the Secret Stash. Yeah. 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 It's uh, on my bucket list of things to go to. Like I'm just a huge Dan Sound Bob fan. So yeah. Same. That's why this whole thing has been like amazing. Like, like during quarantine, I uh, bought like a shitty van and turned it into like a camper van so I could go on the road and hit all of like the cities that were open where you could do comedy. And so I went through Kansas City and I met the club owner there while I was there. And then like a month later, they were running the contest to open for Jay. And so I messaged him. I was like, hey, like, can I come do the contest? He's like, you're in Florida, right? I was like, yeah. He's like, all right, if you want to drive 1400 miles for a chance, like do you man. (laughs) And so I did. And then I won it. So I drove 1400 miles for the chance to open for Jay and then won that contest and then had to turn around and drive back like two weeks later to actually open for him. So, (laughs) but it it all worked out, man. Like I slept in the van, like in snow in Kansas city. I like, I slept by this river where it turns out I slept under a tree where people had like dumped bodies before. (laughs) Yeah. Really probably not safe places, but all in the pursuit of comedy, which I love. And uh, Jay, like just paying it forward and giving me the opportunity has just been incredible. And I can't be, I'm, I can't like say how thankful I am to that guy for giving me the chance to do this. So I never actually heard of like a uh, contest where you win, you get to open for someone. Is this a common thing in comedy? I've never really seen it before. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty common thing with comedy clubs. Like if they want to okay. mix it up and, you know, because most comedy clubs have like regulars that work for them, like as features. So like a comedian that doesn't bring his own person on the road, like normally either the club will assign like a feature and a host or sometimes if they want to mix it up and get new people in, they'll run a contest. And I, that just ha- I just happened to see it on social media and I had just met him like a month earlier. So I messaged him and he's like, hey, come on, come do it if you think you can do it. <laughs> How do they actually gauge if you win? How's that determined? So at, in, at that club, they had a panel of three judges. So they had okay. um, Aaron Scarborough, who just won like Kansas City's Funniest. And then they had like a, like another local headliner. 
And then they had like a booking manager. And so they were judging like laughter, um, content, and like stage presence. Okay. Those, those like three categories or something. Were you performing for a live audience in that? In that? Oh yeah, um... like it. Well, it was definitely set up for me not to win. A lot of the audience was brought by local comedians, so like I didn't have like my own people in the audience. You had to really win the crowd, right? So I, I really, I literally had to win the crowd over to win that contest, and it just it worked perfect. So I'm autistic and I talk about having autism and the comedian right before me in the contest that went up had MS. Okay. So he talked about having MS and then I go up, start telling my jokes and then I get to being autistic. And then I just off the top of my head, I was like, me and the MS kid are actually here on behalf of the Make-A-Wish Foundation (laughs) and everybody lost it. (laughs) And yeah. And like from that moment on, it was like, as soon as that line hit, I was like, what? I won. You know what I mean? It's done. Like, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, it was over. And literally, I came off stage and my friend Monisha, who works at that club regularly, like she's a regular host there, came over to me after I came off stage and was like, oh, so congratulations, you fucking won. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and then we had to wait for like two more people and then I won. Was it an open mic? Like, would anyone able to uh, compete for it or was it you had to like catch up or No, it was everyone submitted. So like when I messaged him and asked if I could do it, like I sent him a video along with it. He's like, you didn't have to send a video. I remember you. If you want to do it you can, and you want to drive all the way up here to do it, come on. But yeah, everyone like submitted. And so they picked like, I think it was 10 people. And they give you what, three or five minutes? Or do you have like a full 20 minute set? Everyone had seven minutes. Okay. So seven minutes then. And did you cater your actual show just for that uh, that audience? Or were you, is it? Um. So for that one, I basically, when I, whenever I do short sets, like I have enough material now, basically I just do the beginning of my act. So if you guys saw me in Naples, I did like my opening joke about like masturbating. Mm-hmm. And then I do the thing about like sex intense. And then I go into the autism stuff and I basically closed um, on that, uh, the X-Man joke. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, so I closed with all of that stuff and that's basically what I did. Yeah. That's some good stuff. Like that's really solid material. Yeah. And then when I opened for Jay, I did 10 minutes. So I did all of that plus that Jason Pierre Paul joke. So how, how long, have, uh, how long have you been uh, doing comedy? Not long, honestly. So I got diagnosed with autism when I was 30. So in 2019. Oh, wow. And I started comedy. I got like, I got diagnosed, got my medical marijuana card. And then three weeks after that, I started doing stand up. So <laughs> like two years. What made you want to try it? I always wanted to try it. I just, I had like really bad anxiety and, uh, and depression and I was misdiagnosed with ADD. Yeah. So I just thought between like those three things, like that's just not something I'm ever going to be able to do, get up in front of people. Then like m- the medical marijuana card just gave me that little bit of like fuck around and find out. Has, has that helped a lot with anxiety and depression? Getting diagnosed has helped a lot with that because like m- most people don't think about autism as like a regressive condition, but it is like the more things that stack up in your life and with your mental health, the more that compresses and takes away like operating space in your system. So it was starting to get regressive. And I was starting to get like, like more antisocial and more isolating myself and stuff like that. And I started trying to really figure out what was going on with me and getting diagnosed and starting to like peel back a lot of those different layers of like, like coping mechanisms and things that I had built up over the years and like just peeling back and getting more to like who I am every day, almost like, especially like days when I'm performing or I get on stage, like that's my chance to like connect with people. And I didn't have that for a really long time. So now that I have that, like, it's just, I'm firing on all cylinders now, baby. <laughs> Is that common for people not to be diagnosed for that long? I mean, cause 30 years seems like a long time. You never saw the right doctors? Kind of. Part of it is um, like geographic. Like I come from like podunk, middle of nowhere kind of place, you know? Mm. Um, And we had like a big Shands Hospital at the University of Florida, you know, like 45 miles away. But it was just a combination of being from like a small place like that. And like at my age, like Asperger's wasn't a diagnosable condition until the year I was born around like four and five, when they start testing for that kind of stuff, like it was still so new, nobody really knew a lot about it. So I was just in that weird age bracket where they kind of, I kind of missed that window. And because I'm a fairly intelligent, a lot of it just got passed off as like, Oh, he's basically weird because he's smart, you know, just quirky. Exactly. It got passed off as that. And then, like I said, my parents, like they didn't know I was autistic, but they knew I was a nerd and they knew I was awkward. 
So they just put me in like every kind of sport and after school program they could. And so I basically had like forced like socialization skills. And once I once I was able to basically like fake socializing, I could get by most of my life just until it started getting bad enough that I was regressing more. How old were you when you were misdiagnosed with ADHD? Uh, I was misdiagnosed with ADD at like 23, 24. Because it was diagnosed uh, by the VA. Okay. And so the VA was like, well, you're an- you have anxiety, depression, and this other stuff, like your inability to focus, we think it's just ADD. Because that's literally all they could figure out. They're like, well, you have a hard time focusing on things. Or or you get hyper-focused on one thing. So they're like, right. it's probably ADD. And I was like, okay, well, turns out ADD, ADHD, and autism all share a lot of similar aspects. So it's just finally getting to the point where I, like, I started to dig deeper. You know? Okay. Were you just like Googling it? Like, how did that go? So it actually happened by accident. I was living down in Fort Myers and I went to the VA. I went to the VA in Fort Myers. Well, the one in Cape Coral, Mm -hmm. but I went to the VA there and I was there to see like a mental health counselor. And just one of the aides working in the clinic just happened to like making small talk was like, Hey, have you ever like looked into finding out if you have like autism? And I was like, no, she's like, okay. Cause like my oldest son has Asperger's and you do some of the same stuff he does. And I was like, Oh really? And then I started like looking into it and I was like, Oh, this so feels like reading an autobiography, you know? And <laughs> I started looking into where I could find out and get evaluated for it. And as an adult, there are very few options for getting diagnosed and evaluated and stuff. So I ended up having to go back to Gainesville, where I'm from, to the University of Florida. And the University of Florida ended up uh, doing my evaluation and, and everything and diagnosing me. What was the biggest difference in like uh, in like approaching your, your coping from going from like having an ADHD diagnosis to an autism? diagnosis that, that that ended up helping you a lot of it was just like realizing like oh i do things that other people don't do like it made oh, okay. me small talk with people i would be like building a word cloud in my brain because i'd have to be focused on like oh how do i respond back to this and it just would take me so much more processing power and then after getting diagnosed and like re- like reading about other autistic people doing that and it would be like oh everyone doesn't do that you know okay. like things like that and then like lear- figuring out like social stuff like out like in public i would always like try and camouflage myself like you guys you guys have seen me on stage and i like i stim so i'm like i'm my hands are flappy and i'm shaking around a little bit that's all stuff i would like hide in my real life like if i'm like out like if i go to target or something i'm trying to like camouflage myself and blend in and so i'm trying to like limit all of those behaviors and like mimic like normal person you know yeah so it's it basically for a long time it was like Every time I stepped out of my house, I was trying to like win an Oscar for normal person. It just, it takes a lot out of you mentally. How much different do you think it would have been if you were diagnosed much sooner? Like when you're like a younger with autism, do you think your life would have changed drastically or would it still kind of end up the same way? Um, I think we, I think I'd have ended up in the same places I am now, like weirdly, like, because literally that's all it took for, for me to decide, like to, I wanted to do this because stand up was something like I've been in love with my whole life, but it was always more of like a interesting hobby. Like it was, I wasn't writing material. I was just like watching every stand up special that came out and like listening to stand up podcasts. And, you know, like growing up, I used to like work summers with my dad and riding around in his truck. He had like old like Jeff Foxworthy tapes and Bill Ingvill tapes and Ron White, really old school, like Jerry Clower stand up comedy tapes. So ever since I first heard like, oh, you can like control an entire room of people with thoughts, you know, there's just something about that appealed to me. And so I'd studied it for a long time, but I just never thought that it was something I'd have the nerve to do until I did. So, 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 so what I'm hearing kind of is like you, you, you kind of got an explanation for, you, you kind of almost got like, like confirmation that it was okay to be who you were. And then, and that, that kind of gave you the confidence to go out and do what you've always wanted to do. Yeah. It went from like most of my life thinking something was wrong with me to realizing like nothing was wrong with me. I was just looking at the instructions for a different model. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, why isn't this button on the remote working? Well, because turns out that's not your remote. It's for the DVD player. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. So your actual first time going on stage, though, like, what was it like an open mic? Like, were you just like presenting in front of friends? Like, how, how that like, what was your first experience like? Yeah. So my first time I, I went to an open mic, there was this open mic in Gainesville that had like a like a mini workshop, like before the mic. So I went one week to the workshop and then stayed and watched the mic. And then the next week I went to workshop and actually went on stage. So yeah, it, my and my jokes back then were awful. I don't even remember my first joke. It was so bad. It was so bad. But I still I still have that now because I haven't been doing comedy that long. But I'll get to a point where I'm like, oh, I can't believe I'm still telling this joke. Like I have to get rid of this. You know? <laughs> is it just like you you've aged out of it, or like is it just does not tasteful anymore, or just is weird or cringy? Kind of like aged out of it, and also like oh, like I have much better jokes now that I've written gotcha. since I wrote this one. So it's time to like retire this one kind of thing. Put on the shelf. Yeah. Like I'm too big for the tricycle now. Let me get break out the big boy bicycle jokes. Like when we were younger though, I know you said you were listening to stand up. Were you trying to like tell jokes to people or like do funny stuff or say funny stuff? Or was it all is like vicariously living through the comedians? Um, No. So that was the thing. Like I was always funny with my family and like my close circle of friends. I was always the funny one, but I was like out like with among other people, I was shy. So, you know, it was like growing up, my family would like, oh, you like you need like a reality show. Like you just need someone to follow you around and listen to the ridiculous shit you say. And then as I got like older and when I started doing stand up, I was like, wait, I do say a bunch of ridiculous shit sometimes. Maybe I should just start trying to tell these things to other people. And so, yeah. And then just like learning like uh, there's this guy in Gainesville where I'm from, Bob Smith who's a he was a road comic for like 25 years and it was just back in the day where the only way to make it was to get on tv and he just never got on tv but so he moved back to Gainesville and so he started like a free comedy workshop like every Sunday so every Sunday I would go to like a a comedy workshop for like a year and so I just learned about joke structure and I learned about like how to build material and how to like when you get something here how to like stretch it out and make it you know turn it into something more than that and I just, you know, I was already in love with comedy. And just once I like kind of learned the structure and everything, it was like, it's kind of like being like dyslexic and then all of a sudden getting medication that allows you to like read. Hmm. It was the same thing as like, oh, finally, I can understand this language I've been trying to figure out my whole life. I, I hear a lot of comics talk. It's it's really hard to teach comedy, but it sounds like it sounds like you, you you kind of like internalized that structure and like had a formula already uh, already probably that you've been working on your whole life by looking watching um, other comics. Comedy is hard to teach, but it's only hard to teach because imagination is hard to teach. Like the structures can all be taught, but if you can't use your imagination to think outside of the structure, then all you're ever going to have is the basic structured joke. Right. You know, once you get the structure, though, like basically it's kind of like like you have to learn the rules to learn how to bend the rule kind of thing, you know. And so imagine like think about it like playing with like Lego sets. Like let's say you get like a set to build like a Lego castle. Right. So you follow the instructions. You can build the Lego castle. But you take those instructions. You get like you figure out how to build that Lego castle. You're comfortable with it. And you're like, wait, I want to move the dungeon over here. And then I can put in like this secret staircase from here all the way to the dungeon. Like you figure out these these different workarounds that makes your jokes and what you're creating more unique than like a standard just typical structure joke. And you use your imagination to get from point A to point B. All like the joke structures tell will basically tell you is you have to go from point A to point B, but it doesn't tell you how. So that's why it's kind of hard to teach it. Uh, that makes sense. So Seamus did mention uh, that you were getting heckled at one point for for being for making autistic jokes and all. Like, is that like a, a common theme? Like, do you feel like people are like giving you shit or judging you? No. Uh, so uh, honestly, that one that I my buddy caught it on, like caught a part of it on camera and put it out. And I put it out because that's the first time that's ever happened. Okay. And it basically, it happened. I was hosting an open mic in a bar. You know, and so bar shows are a lot different than a club show. Like at a club show, everyone's there to see the show. You know, at a bar show, some people are there, didn't even know there was going to be a show, you know. Just there for two for ones. Yeah. So this lady is there on a first date. So she's talking to him, not paying any attention to the show. So because she's not paying attention, she just heard me say autistic, didn't listen to the next part where I talk about being autistic. And then like two minutes later, heard me say retard strength. And so she just (laughs) connected the two in her head without listening, without having the, like the gap in the middle to connect everything. So she just flips out. She's like, you can't talk about autism. You can't. And I was like, I'm, 
I'm like, you might've missed this, but I am <laughs> this, you know, surprise, you know, but that, but that happening is actually why I added a joke into my material in between those two bits where like, there's a line where I kind of pause for a little bit and I'm like explaining why like people can't get upset. And I'm like, I basically say like, uh, like, remember, I'm part of the protected demographic you want to be offended on behalf of. And so, like, adding that little, like, like statement in there kind of, like, stops those people in their tracks. I don't know. I've had a lot more positive feedback than negative. Like, I had so many people, like, it, like coming out to, like, the merch tables after the shows and just coming up to say hi. I had a lot more, like, people like, oh, my son, daughter, niece, nephew, so on and so forth has autism and that was really cool what you did so i've had a lot more of that than that one karen <laughs> is that weird for like people to come up to you and like say you're like you're an inspiration or like you're, you're helping them with that kind of thing it's super weird but it's also like that's to melt your heart a little bit right yeah like it's yeah. not a payoff i expected like i was always more concerned about like those like the karens i was more concerned about being offensive and i i did during quarantine i did like a zoom workshop and like there there was a q a with roy wood jr from um the daily show and i asked him like in that q a i was like how do you write material around sensitive subjects and he was like well you know be more specific and so i told him i was like i'm autistic i have jokes about autism i want to tell but i'm afraid they'll be offensive and he gave me this great advice and he like gave me like comedians to study like maria bamford and mike perbiglia and josh blue and he's like listen to how they talk about like when they talk about the any so any sort of like medical condition or anything like that they talk about their experience with it and they're talking about like their condition they're not talking about all people with their condition and so just getting that advice that was kind of like the green light is like yeah i'm i'm definitely allowed to talk about this because i'm talking about me like i'm not talking about everyone right yeah, it's like when people get offended by like someone's perspective it's like that's that person's perspective you can't be offended this is what they thought yeah. this is what they they saw and it, it's, right. it always pisses me off when people get upset about that kind of thing a, a lot of people that get offended are getting like you say getting offended on behalf of another behalf, group. yeah and then yeah. often often like on on a perspective that they don't assuming you know Right. And that was what was so like, that's what kind of sucked about that woman. And also like what made like, made it like made her side, the losing side of the argument was her response was like, well, the autistic people I know would never be able to get on stage and do that. Like, ah, so now you're assuming we're all the same. (laughs) And that's where you fucked up. Yeah. And, and that thing is like, I was talking about this with a, with another comic one time, like black, a black comic can go on stage and tell black Joe and the audience immediately identify that they're a black person. Right. But when you go on stage as an autistic person, the audience can't immediately identify you as an autistic person. One, because there's so many different ideas of what autism is. And two, it's not like, there's not like a physical marker. Like, you know, it's not like we're all born with like a Harry Potter scar or something where you're like, oh yeah, look, so there, I, there's always that part of it that you've got to contend with versus like, you know, any sort of mental health thing. Like there's no way for you to prove it. You know what I mean? And the audience can't immediately identify. Give a card. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the audience just can't immediately identify it. So you have to win them over. When I, when I saw you go on stage and you're wearing a shirt that said uh, Captain Autism, I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, where, where's this guy <laughs> yeah. going with it? And then you start talking. I'm still not entirely sure yet. And then I, I noticed your hand and like your some of the mannerisms you're doing. I'm like, oh, and then you finally like, like you talk about you have autism. Like, oh, this is all making sense now. I mean, is that like an intentional thing? Are you going out there to like kind of like shatter there's like expectations and, and stuff or um I, that wasn't my intention at all my okay. intention was more to like especially when i first started and I, like i first started telling those jokes about autism it was more about like just kind of like unburdening myself a little bit I, like i didn't expect like those kind of responses like we were talking about like i wasn't expecting families like you know to be like hey like you impacted our family like who expects that from telling like you know like dick jokes, you know, <laughs> then it like when it started happening, that's when I kind of I, like, I started realizing it was like, Oh, like this means something to people. And uh, I don't know. I just, I like, I had always thought about like the, uh, like, cause there are other autistic comics. Like Hannah Gadsby is, is openly autistic. Jim Jeffries, you know, has his story, like where he found out he was autistic, you know? So I just didn't think about it that way because I was like, in my head, I was like, there are bigger example better examples than me like there are already people that have come before me so i don't i'm not gonna be that to people but turns out people people need it 
and it's been really cool. Now, uh, your, most of your material, I remember being pretty filthy, like not like for a, a much like younger crowd. Have you thought about like possibly writing stuff for like a younger crowd to like help? I mean, I, I don't want to say help, but like for people that are experiencing like uh, autism or prejudice because of like their like their autism. Like, are you, have you thought about doing anything like that? Um, kind of, but I'm just naturally I'm naturally a cursor. Yeah, you're gonna say fuck. Like, <laughs> I'm from I'm from Podunk, Florida. I was in the army. Yeah, I just I naturally I use curse words so naturally in my daily life. Like I've I've tried to write clean material before. It just it just comes off as like disingenuine. You know what I mean? You could tell if like somebody was trying to pretend to be Mr. Rogers. Mm-hmm. You know, like Mr. Rogers was the only guy that could be Mr. Rogers because that's who he was. So it's kind of that. But I don't know if you guys follow like my I do like those Captain Autism, like the comic book cover posters. Mm-hmm. I have thought about converting that, like actually making that a real comic book series okay. and making that more kid friendly and making that more of like a coping with being autistic. Feel, the feel that kind feel of, good kind of thing. OK. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, yeah. like sort of like Captain Autism overcoming like anxiety to accomplish something or or being like confronted by someone and like, you know dealing with like forced confrontation and different things like that. Like, you know, pressing some of those things and expressing like more of the ideas, like it's okay to be yourself kind of stuff. So that's definitely something I want to do in the future. So you did mention you're in the army. I'm actually curious about that because you also mentioned the VA. I didn't want to bring it up until you brought it up, but so you're in, did you, uh, how how long were you in the army for? Oh, three years. And they didn't like catch on with like the autism or anything like, no, because I um I joined basically right after high school. I got out in 2009. So I was in like 2006 to 2009. And at that time, the army had bigger issues when it came to like mental health concerns. And so it was kind of that it was like, as soon as the army realized that I was, I was dealing with some mental health stuff, it was like, Hey, you can't be here anymore kind of thing, which was unfortunate. But I also, I mean, that was literally the peak of them dealing with like PTSD and, and learning about all of that kind of stuff. So they already had their hands full in the mental health department. So like, I, I knew you said you were pretty good at faking it or like putting on that, that show, like was like, did the army help you with that where you're able to like, like act more normal in, in a sense? Kind of. It was less that and it was more like because the army is so structured, there was never like, a, like you know, like I always knew what I was supposed to do, where I was supposed to be, that kind of thing. Can't deviate. Exactly. Yeah. So it was just like a structured, like basically like a life plan. But things started going bad for me. I had I hurt my back and I had to have a back surgery and those like those like six weeks of like downtime and not being able to stick to the routine and not being active and not like it just messed with me mentally a lot and when that's that like that kind of just started the spiral and yeah and then you, you also mentioned you had covid did you catch that from doing a comedy show or was it just a random uh covid no random covid it may have been i went to uh in gainesville like i went to one of the like the black lives matter like rallies and wore a mask and everything, but there were still thousands of people out and about. Yeah. Elbows to elbows. Yeah. And I literally, I got sick. I started getting sick literally like six days later. So. And like you said, you start your comedy, like right at the peak of COVID, right? You said it was about like a year or two years ago at this point. No, I started, I started the year before COVID. Okay. So I started in like April, 2019. Gotcha. Okay. So I had almost a solid year pre COVID. Like literally I was booked on my first tour when COVID started. Like I was, I'd gone to Tallahassee. They put us up in like an air, like a house they had rented for us. We were going to rehearse for two weeks and then start the tour. And the day after we all showed up, moved our stuff into the house and signed our contracts. The next day lockdown started. So gosh. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so we stayed in Tallahassee for like a couple of months, like rehearsing and stuff. And then once it became clear that like more, like lockdown wasn't ending anytime soon, it basically became like, hey, you guys can stay here until the lease is up, but then you got to go. And it was a six month lease. So I had to figure out how to not be homeless in the middle of quarantine. So buy a van. <laughs> And then were like you able to start booking shows after that? Like, or were you under contract? You couldn't book shows or? No, the tour was canceled. Okay. So it was fully canceled at that point. Yeah. The tour got fully canceled. So we ended up like, I found the van, went to North Carolina, got it, started converting it. Um, And then I went back to Tallahassee like the week before the lease ended to get the rest of my stuff out of there. Um, And then I just, once the van was far enough along, I started looking for like, like which cities were open and which places I could go. So I went to like Austin, Texas. I went to Colorado Springs. I went to Kansas City. I went to Nashville. Uh, and then I came back here. 
back to Florida, well, back to Florida, not here, but got the opportunity to go back to Kansas City for that, did that, went back to Kansas City again to op- to actually open for today. Um, and me- in the meanwhile, like Florida had opened by this point. So I was going all over Florida doing everything I could. So I went, I basically went back to work in like June, the end of June when Florida like first reopened. Growing up, like listening to comedy, like were, were there any uh, particular comedians that you really looked up to? Um, I mean, I've always been a big Chappelle fan because I like, I grew yeah. up in the perfect era for yeah. Chappelle, you know, our like age group Chappelle. as well. <laughs> yeah. Same, same here. So when I was in, like, yeah, high school and stuff. And, but some of the other ones I, I really loved growing up was like all of like the redneck comedians. Cause that's what I listened to with my dad. So, you know, yeah. Hey, in a perfect area for it yeah bill Engel and i, I really loved ron white because he was more yeah. he was the dirtier one and that like appealed more to me because you know he says fuck sometimes and i say fuck sometimes <laughs> and then i was a really big fan of like christopher titus okay. just because he would have like those like those like just those random bursts of like ranty energy and i was like i wish i had that and then like now I have that. (laughs) So, yeah, those were some of the guys I really looked up to. Um, Patrice O'Neill, another fantastic comic. Yeah, I just kind of absorbed everybody. So one of the other things we've been talking to uh, a couple of other comedians we've had on was like cancel culture. Have you had any problems with it, like uh, appealing to like the cancer culture crowds? Like, are you worried about like any of your stuff? I mean, not really. Um, mm-hmm. I was kind of worried about coming up here at first. This is like, oh, like this. We're going to be right outside of New York City, which is like, you know, one of the meccas of like wokeness. But it's also one of the meccas of like real comedy. I, I I'm not worried about being canceled in a city that made Patrice O'Neill famous. <laughs> I don't think I don't think there's something I could say that would shock like New York comedy again. <laughs> are, are, are you planning on getting any uh, other like other sh- uh, sets in in uh, around New York while you're there? Um, I mean, most of New York, like New York City comedy, is just oh, shut right, down. Right. Yeah, I forgot know? about yeah, that. They, they still have lockdowns. But yeah, I tried looking for places while I was in the city, like yesterday and today, but nothing's open and going um i am gonna go next week i'm gonna spend like the rest of the week in atlantic city next week um doing stuff at the tropicana atlantic city has no lockdowns right now is it completely open new jersey is more open i would say new jersey is like mm, like 60 percent of what florida is right now gotcha you know so things are open and people are going out people are more mask conscious up here but uh, other than the masks it's pretty much business as usual and they they just passed recreational right uh so you you have to partake in new jersey while you're there oh yeah i've been smoking <laughs> while we've been talking <laughs> so yeah. i've been coughing well yeah i've got so... a tobacco vape and a marijuana vape and i've been just, just so yeah. like i promise you guys don't worry about the cough i'm doing it to myself <laughs> and so that's the other thing like uh jason music is is he sober or is, is or yeah i'm pretty he's sure he was fully sober, sober. Yeah. yeah he's fully sober is, is that like a boner killer not really because i like especially like you know like you hear like you when you hear like the full story of like his journey and everything he went through you're like no this makes sense like yeah. for who you are and like you know growth as a person but the exciting part is kevin smith is going to be here for the oh, weekend yeah, smoke and kevin still yeah. smokes so yeah like you know bucket list if i can smoke <laughs> Like, I don't obviously like even if we have to roll separate joints and just light them together, bucket list sitting at the same (laughs) table with Kevin Smith. Yeah, yeah, that that is definitely (laughs) it's gonna be killer, man. Yeah, like, so how many of these did you have before you wrote Dogma? You know. (laughs) <laughs> so it's actually funny. He wasn't a pothead back then. He actually wasn't a pothead till I think he turned 40 is when he started uh, smoking pot like as like recreational. Oh, yeah. So he's like a newer pothead. So he came up with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, he, he like partaked a little bit, but he would never consider himself a pothead until like the recent years. Yeah. Was that was that after his heart attack? <laughs> No, no, it was actually before his heart attack. Uh, it was right, uh, right around the time he did uh, Zach and Mary make a porno. Uh, <laughs> Seth Rogen wanted to smoke up with him, and he's like, "Well, I'm not really a smoker, but if like the Rogen asked me to smoke, I like, I'm a, I have to." Like, <laughs> like what do I, do I say no to Seth Rogen, and then after that, he started uh, smoking, and uh, so yeah. Right. And that's kind of like what I'm hoping happens is Kevin Smith is like, I'm going to go smoke this. Who's coming? I'm like, I'm on the way, buddy. <laughs> is there anyone else on the tour of you and Jay or because I remember in Naples, you were the only act with them. Yeah, it's just yeah, just us. Um, Apparently, I'm like one of the one of the only like he's only ever brought one other person like on the road with them before. So I'm only the second person he's ever brought on the road. That's so fucking nice. cool. That yeah. is cool. Yeah, it was, yeah. 
it just worked out perfect. And like, we've, we've worked it out, like doing those shows, like, um, we worked it out to like now, like, even if we have a host, I bring Jay on stage because I, I do his intro and I tell the story about how we met and everything. And, um, it just works so perfect. And I like, literally this is just dream, like dream come true stuff. So. Yeah. That's, that's, that's so cool, man. Especially it's like two years in. Yeah. You having that kind of that kind of like stage time is cool. Has anyone started approaching you yet for for other projects, like possibly like writing deals, uh, like shows, movies, like any of that kind of stuff? Or I don't I, if you're not if you can't talk about that, it's fine. Not yet. Uh, I don't th- know if I'm supposed to talk about it or mention it, but like I said, uh, Kevin Smith is going to be here this week. <laughs> I've heard through the grapevine that he was sent one of my stand up videos, and he was really impressed by it. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah no so what's funny is when i when i was going through getting diagnosed like when i went to my observation appointment i was actually working on an animated series like i i was finally getting to the point where like i knew i i needed some sort of creative outlet i was just trying to do it like the hard way and that's basically what one of my first like uh, therapists like talked about they're like you know you need a creative outlet but at the time i was trying to teach myself to draw teach myself animation teach myself like storyboarding and script writing and all of this stuff and they're like you see how many hurdles you put between you and actual creative expression like why don't you cut out the middleman and just take your ideas up in front of an audience and i was like yeah maybe and then (laughs) i got marijuana and i was like yeah let's do it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so but i so i still have like the i that that idea for like an animated series i want to make um i have an idea for like a like a dark humor sitcom so yeah i have ideas that have been floating around for a long time they're just ideas that i never thought i'd get the opportunity to do anything with and so now it's like hey you might actually have some opportunities on the horizon it's like oh boy so how, how did um how did marijuana come into your life? It sounds like you, you didn't start smoking until recently, more recently, right? Yeah, I uh, I tried it a couple times um, when I first got out of the army. I kind of got like scared straight a little bit because, I mean, I was super straight laced before then. Literally smoked weed like nine times. And the guy, one of the guys I'd started smoking weed with, I let him crash at my place. So I had a job where I was traveling. And so I, he was basically staying at my house and I came home off the road and there was like Coke all over my coffee table. And I just, I, I was like, yeah, nope, not doing this. Cause uh, I've not like my whole life. I've known I have an addictive personality. So it's one of those, like, I can never try Coke because if I try Coke, I'm going to die from cocaine. <laughs> so that just kind of like scared me straight a little bit. And I didn't try it for another decade until I got my medical marijuana card. Did someone suggest? uh weed uh for you like like hey this might help you with like the anxiety and the depression yeah my therapist when i first after after my diagnosis when i got paired with like an actual therapist to start working through like and like with an autism specialist and they're like have have you tried any sort of like medications and i was like no like i'm kind of i'm very leery about like pharmaceutical medications because mm-hmm. again i'm from like one of those places that has been destroyed by like the opioid epidemic. Yeah. Not just Oxy, but like people get like addicted to Adderall and Oxy and muscle relaxers and all kinds. And so that was one of the things that they were talking about was like Adderall. And I was like, I really don't want to be on Adderall. And my doctor was like, I wouldn't start with Adderall. I would start with medical marijuana. And I was like, Oh really? (laughs) Tell me more. Uh, And yeah. Is, is is there a certain type of strain that works works well for you? I I use sativas before I go on stage, so I'm I'm literally I have that joke at the beginning where I like dodge, like full disclosure I'm very high right now. I'm high, yeah. That's literally a disclosure for every show because I'm very high when I go on stage because I, I just have to be like that's the only like. Uh, sativa is like just something about them allows like I can drop off a lot of like the excess stuff that's going on in my brain and just kind of tunnel in on what I'm what I want to talk about and it also like it kind of puts a lot of like the like the masking and some of that stuff it makes it background noise like it turns off like non-essential functions you know and I'm just able to like be present when I'm on stage do you think you ever get to a point where you wouldn't need to, to smoke up before a show or you think it's always just gonna be a part of it? I think it'll probably always be a part. I mean, I say always, but who knows? You know, yeah. I've only been doing this for two years. Like if I have like a decade of experience under my belt, I don't know. It could be different, but I've only gone on stage as of right now. I've only gone on stage one time, not high. And it was literally the worst. Like 
I threw up as soon as I came off stage. And, oh, wow. Well. Yeah. yeah. It was just nerve wracking. So I don't know. Have you thought about doing any other drugs like uh, psychedelics or anything like that? Like LSD or I don't know if you've partaken in that already, but so about six months after I got diagnosed and after I'd started with medical marijuana, I tried acid once mm-hmm. and I actually, I actually really enjoyed it. I I think I took like a, like a 10 mil, like a smaller tab and it was actually really good. And like the two weeks after I took it was literally probably the most productive I've ever been like as a comedian. So I am definitely interested. Like I want to try Like I'd love to like try like microdosing and things like that. Like I, I have, I don't have like, like I don't have anything that like, I don't know. Psychedelics don't weird me out. Like, like pharmaceuticals, like, you know, that weirds me out. Yeah, like, I'm right there with you. Actual narcotic, but trying like heroin or crystal meth or anything, but like acid mushrooms, maybe some, uh, what's the other one? DMT. DMT. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. DMT. Yeah, I'd be down to try that. It wouldn't be for a spiritual journey, would it? Or would it be more of a, just to see like how your body reacts to it? Or like, are you looking for like a spiritual type thing? I'm looking for more mental mm-hmm. You know, like not so much spiritual, although there was there is like I don't I want to I guess emotional. I would say there's like an emotional feeling that comes with being on acid, at least like the one time I took it. But it was more almost like a, it was more like just a comforting feeling like, hey, like emotionally you're like stay comfortable. Like and then everything else was just like mental and it just, just opening doors and stuff like that. So I think it's more that aspect of things of like kind of uh what's that movie with Leonardo Inception. So more oh, kind yeah. of like inceptioning myself and like, you know, unlocking some things and unraveling some like some knotted wires in the in the noggin. Yeah. Just sort of experience. I got you. So the the tour at Jay, how is this a, a six month tour, a year tour? Like how, how long is the tour actually running for? I'm not sure entirely. Um because COVID threw like wrenches in everybody's plans. Mm-hmm. So as as far far as i know like his wife is his manager for his live shows and this modcast business but she basically told me they're going to use me at least for the rest of the year so okay nice that's awesome yeah i got like steady work yeah. yeah so we've got like stuff is kind of spaced out like through the beginning half of the year but i'm hoping like the calendar will fill up more towards the later half of the year because like we have we had the week like the seven shows in florida a week mm-hmm. off we've got five shows here and then we've got like seven or eight weeks before we do a week in port oh wow yeah so but that gives me time to get over to the west coast and i've got a bunch of shows that like gigs that i got when i won the portland comedy festival that are on the west coast like Vegas, LA. So you gonna hit them all up. I'm gonna try and line them all up to do all in a row. So so yeah, we've got that. We've got Portland and then we've got like another like six week break and we're doing um like Spokane and Tacoma, Washington. And then we've still got to make up dates in like uh in Raleigh, North Carolina at some point. And then going from there into the second half of the year and kind of seeing how the calendar fills up. But I'm pretty excited. Yeah. I mean, especially like the COVID shit's like, seems like it's getting more under control like every day. Like more places are opening up, more people are getting the vaccines and more openness. Yeah. yeah and now they said they're going to, we're going to have enough vaccines on stock for ev- like in, like on hand by for June. everyone. Yeah, by, yeah, so. by May June. Or June. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully that means like come July, things should be fully operational or at least getting there. getting closer to that normal yeah yeah do you have any crazy jason muse stories yet or you haven't really been hanging out with him enough yet or has he done any words of wisdom not any crazy stories yet like that guy just works a lot like well honestly like he's like streaming on twitch like between 10 and 12 hours a day even when we have shows so he's like streaming 10 hours a day then coming to the club we do two shows in a night so he's there another six seven hours so he's working like 17 hour days and then you know eating and sleeping so not not anything crazy yet but like i said this weekend should be fun because like i said kevin will be coming into town so i'll get to actually see jay like with someone he's comfortable interact in yeah yeah someone he's really comfortable with and get to see him like kind of open up more with uh, with somebody else so that's going to be really fun is just getting to see that and be a part of it but man this whole thing is just a like it's I feel like it's kind of like a surfer. Like I ro- I caught the wave. Now there's nothing I can do but just ride it out. Ride and see it, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's so it's super exciting, man. Do you feel like you're like a little kid at the big kids kids table at this point, or do you feel like you're comfortable? Like you, you deserve your spot at this table? Uh, no, definitely still, definitely still like in a high chair. Yeah, you know, like I definitely still feel like like I'm in a like I'm at the big table, but I'm still in a high chair. 
but you know that's i think that's just my own you know internal stuff yeah yeah exactly it's you know the back of my head like you've only been doing this for two years but not everybody's you know in that two years i i dove into it in a to a level that not a lot of people reach down. Yeah. You said you were doing the workshops and all that. You're, you're putting the time into it. You're learning like joke structures and comedic timing and, and like how to read audiences yeah. and stuff like that. Is, is that because of like the autism you think where you're able to like hyper-focus on so. it? Yeah. yeah. It's before I got diagnosed, like I would have like these random intense interests, but I would always lose interest in them. Like I would, I did like leather working for a while and I did woodworking for a while. And I did like paracord, like I was making like paracord lanyards and dog leashes and stuff like that and it was just nothing ever stuck but then like i found comedy and that like that is that's my intense interest like some for some autistic people it's trains or robots or seals or penguins or whatever but mine's comedy and just once i once i like fully embraced it like this whole other aspect of my brain just unfolded and it was like we've been waiting for you kind of thing so yeah well we're uh we're glad you made the made the jump into that <laughs> entertaining yeah i remember um like you talked about your joke earlier uh the x-men joke i I thought that was hysterical are you like a nerd are you like a a closet nerd type guy or are you more open about it i'm a little more open about it now i was because i was constantly trying to fit in growing up like i bounced from click to click so i was like the kid that had nerd friends that i could talk about like you know the hobbit and the lord of the rings and comic book stuff with and then i also played like high school basketball and football and those other groups i could kind of float between i'm definitely more open about like my nerdiness now yeah i'm, I'm totally a nerd like, like I said, that's what makes this whole thing like being able, like driving that far to open for Jay because, like, I love Jay and Silent Bob and the Kevin Smith universe and accepted into that. And then, like, doing these shows and having like other Jay and Silent Bob fans, yeah, we like you a lot. Is not only did I like, I found comedy, like, I've also found like, like my tribe a little bit, the Jay and Silent Bob fandom. It's been really cool. Yeah, I'm definitely in that camp where like I, I grew up on it. I, I I love it. Like I listen to their podcasts and their shows and and all that. So I, I definitely like really resonate with that. It, it's really cool that you're getting that dream and like you've only put like a, a few years into it. Like, have you talked to other comedians that they've been kind of resentful towards it or like giving you shit like you don't deserve it or like or if everyone been pretty cool? Some are, some are. I've got a really good group okay. of, of comics that we kind of like came up around the same time and like part of like the Orlando comedy scene, which is like one of the I would say the Orlando comedy scene is maybe one of the best comedy scenes in the country overlooked because like obviously there are scenes that are a lot bigger, but there's so many funny people coming out of Orlando right now. It's ridiculous. And a lot of us, we've all been to those mics together. We've kind of been in the trenches together. So those kind of guys respect a lot more. Then you run into guys like there was a host we got during that week in Florida with Jay who was not happy about it. Because when he found out that I had only been doing it two years and he was like, I've been doing it 23 years, pretty upset about it. But then it was also like, you know, you'd see him like him on stage and like the reaction he was getting from the crowds and and everything. And then I'd go on stage and do my material and they're like, there's like, can you not tell there's a measurable difference? You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I get you've been doing it for 23 years, but how much of that time were you taking it serious? And I think it goes back to like what you were saying, like you spent like all that time, like really putting that work in where a lot of comedians, they probably don't, they've been like coasting on it and, and stuff. Like that's really interesting. It sounds like you have a deeper understanding of the the structures and um kind of fundamentals behind everything that that probably really helped. Well, not just that, but like, I just, I'm constantly trying to push myself to like get better. I'll do like a joke. And then the next show I'll be like, Ooh, I could maybe add this into this show, or maybe let me try and deliver it in a different tone of voice. Like maybe, let me like drop my voice a little bit when I say this piece or, you know, I'll watch somebody else's stand up. I notice they do this, like when they get to like a punchline, maybe like, let me try and figure out a way I can incorporate something like that into my act. And I'm, I'm just constantly trying to get better and improve because one, I know it's kind of like, I know, like I got a late start. You know what I mean? Like looking back, like, like you, you guys were asking earlier, like, what if I had been diagnosed at an early age? I mean, if I had been diagnosed at an earlier age, I'd have been doing this in my 20s. In my mind, ever since I started and ever since I realized like, hey, this is a thing you're really good at. You could turn into like a real career. I took that serious and I put the effort in like it was a career I was trying to pursue. 
what was the, the turning point when you realized you could take it as a career? Like, or did someone just tell you like, Hey, you're really funny. So I had gone to like three open mics with like that mini workshop before I found that other workshop run by Bob Smith. And he also had like shows and stuff like that. I went to the, his workshops. I got to do five minutes at like one of his shows. And then he gave me a 10 minute spot at another show. And so I did that 10 minute spot and it went really well. And it came off stage and he was like, he's like, Hey man, like that was really good stuff. Blah, blah. He's like, but I know that's all the material you have. So I can't bring you back here for a couple of weeks until you get new material. And I took that as a challenge. It was like, okay, bet. Like I showed, that was on a Thursday. I showed up that Sunday to workshop with five new minutes of material. Oh, wow. Cause I was like, I was like, there's no way I'm going to, I'm going to wait to like, I'm going to wait several weeks to go back on that show. I'm going to get like a new 10 minutes to do that show as quickly as I can. But maybe like two months after that got to do a, like a 20 minute spot in front of like a bigger comedian from Gainesville, Florida. He's a guy named Chris Cope. He's been on Conan and he's been on like Netflix's Cooking on High. And so he's one of the two biggest comedians to ever come from Florida or from Gainesville anyway. <laughs> and so I got to do like a 20 minute feature spot in front of him. And after that show, Bob pulled me aside and he's like, hey, he's like, the growth I've seen out of you has been incredible. And if you stick to this, you could do this for a living. And as soon as I heard that, that was like the permission slip I needed to really go after it. As soon as I got that external like validation of like, you could do this for a living if you wanted to. And I was like, well, guess what? I fucking want to. Are, are you feeling like you always need to prove yourself? Because that, that seems like like one of the motifs that you've been like talking about, like, oh, I got to like get better. I got to do this. I got like, are you always like, you feel like you absolutely have to always get better and you have to be the best. And like, is that the competition or um, just like your mindset? I don't know. It's not competition, really. It's more of like, to me, it's about respecting the art form. Anything you love to do, you should want to do well. Like, I love comedy. So to me, it would be disrespectful to comedy if I didn't try and become the best at it as I could be. Think of like an athlete, athletic people all the time who are born with all of the natural talent in the world, but then they don't apply themselves to developing that talent. And so like, don't become the Michael Jordan or the Kobe Bryant. I'd rather put that effort in and see how far up this ladder I can go. And I think that point of view is awesome. I respect the hell out of that. Appreciate that. Yeah, man. What's uh, what's, what's some of your goals then? Like, wh- where do you see this ending? Do you, are you looking for that comedy special like on Netflix? Like, like what, what's your ultimate like goal at this point? Um, Besides the show with Kevin Smith. Right. No, I think honestly, like my ultimate goal is uh, like, I, I'd love to have like a special Netflix is like the big one, but love to have a special out there somewhere. Like right now, my goal is I'm working on like a new set of material about living in the van. And I want to get like, get that to be a big enough chunk of material that I can like put out like a 10 or 15 minute thing about like living in the van. And then I want to, I'm working on like my main like feature act with Jay but then I'm also working on like a headliner act with that, some of that same material, just stretching some of that material out into like a 45 minutes to an hour. And then I've got other material set aside that doesn't really fit with the structure of my act I'm working on now. And I want to take that material, develop it into its own like 20 to 25 minute special, maybe a half hour special and see if I can't shop that around a little bit. See if I can't put that out. And worst case scenario, put it out myself, like on YouTube or something, just to try to get more eyeballs to come see like the main act. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now is I just want to develop enough stuff that I can put more stuff out and just keep building up the fan base. But, you know, I'd love to have a special on Netflix and big picture down the line stuff. I mean, I love the van. I'm I'm eventually going to upgrade to like a bigger, better van and stuff like that. But I mean, long-term I'd love tour bus. Exactly. Long-term is tour bus. Long-term is tour bus and like planning like my own like route of shows. So I'm literally like circling the U S every year, stopping working on material for like six months. And then 18 months after I started the first one, I'm starting my second one. Yeah. You got, you got to get a big like captain autism painted on the side too. Oh Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd really love to do stuff like that. I'd also really like, like after I got diagnosed and I started like doing more research about it, like there aren't a lot of resources for autistic adults. 
like you can read so many horror stories. Like these are things I learned from people that came to talk to me after the shows in Florida. There are so many horror stories out there of like how autistic people's quality of life declines, like when their parents pass away, because most autistic people rely on their families for their whole life. Big picture down the line stuff. I'd love to be able to open my own like autism support village, almost like an assisted living facility for people on the spectrum where they can come and like their workshops for all of these different kinds of activities. So everyone can find the thing that, that they're passionate about and find a way to turn those things into a livable, sustainable career. So that's like way big picture stuff. That's not even comedy related. That's like when you dream about what you would do if you win the lottery type of stuff. It's, it's very respectable. And that's, that's what I really like about you. you. You have all these big dreams, but like you're, you're still really real about it as well. Like you're not like, oh, I'm getting the mansion. I'm, I'm going to get like the, the supermodel wife. I'm going to get like crazy amount of cars. No, I want to help yeah. people. I, I want people to be able to express themselves and 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 grow themselves like like how I did myself. Like I, that's that's really really awesome. The, the fact that you're really motivated by um, ex- just kind of exploring and going deep into the art form, this is is it's probably a huge boon as well. That same guy Bob, he's literally like my mentor. I talk to him pretty much every day. Still, we talk about that all the time. Like when people start doing comedy, like he he likes to ask people like what like got you into comedy. Like what's the reason why you want to do comedy? And people will say money, and people will say like cars or women or whatever. But it's the the people that are doing it because they're getting something personal out of it, or they're giving something personal with it those are the ones that stick around for me it's both like being on stage and being able to like tell jokes is like the most connection i'm able to establish with people ever and that's something i don't get in my normal life that's something i need that's a human interaction i require to function at a high level so i'm getting something out of comedy but then also just the fact that i'm able to express myself and create laughter from that expression it's like there's a sense of purpose that comes with it that i've not found in anything else i've tried in life and that's why i'm still doing it i lost all my other hobbies i would do something for like a year maybe a year and a half and then i was done with it. this is the the longest i've ever stuck with something and it's because i love everything about it this is what my life is now. <laughs> right. This yeah. is my life now. It's... I got one more question for you, AJ, before we wrap it up. What would be some words of advice you would either give like an aspiring comedian or some of autism that's that's struggling a little bit? Like what would be like some advice that you would have loved to got when you were just starting out or you're like right when you got diagnosed with autism or comedy? I think with with being diagnosed with autism, like somebody who's maybe not sure if they're on the spectrum or, you know, like interested in finding out or maybe just got diagnosed, just learn all of you can about it. Like find there's so many different like work groups for people on the spectrum, like on Facebook and stuff like that. There's a a great app called The Mighty that's got like a support thread for autistic people. Just learning about that, because the more you can learn about it, you're literally some it may not all apply to you. But there's going to be stuff you're learning that's going to be you're going to be learning about yourself. And introspection is one of the most important parts of being a human being is being able to understand yourself. So don't be afraid to find out. As far as like comedy advice, the big one, I actually had somebody else say this. And as soon as they said it, another comedian said it. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, bingo, that's what I've been trying to explain to somebody. Because a comic, like it was literally like their second open mic ever. And they're like, oh, like one of you guys should put me on a show. Like, I want to really see what I can do. And another comic was like, man, it takes time to get really good as a comedian. Like you have to put the work in, you have to go to the mics. And he was like, man, I bombed for like six months straight before I started getting laughs. And another comedian just popped his head in that conversation. He's like, you can skip a lot of the bombing time by writing. And that's literally that's what's happened because I, I wrote so much and I still write so much that I've been able to like take material that wasn't working and then I'll like I'll write something else be like oh I can take these two things and smush them together and make them one thing and that makes the makes it funny or I can take you know something that wasn't funny like you know six months later I write something like this is so much funnier than this other thing I can get rid of this other thing. And so the more you write, like, it's just like anything else. It's building a skill. It's building a muscle. So the more you write, the faster you're going to get better. So just write like, and, and stop putting it off, pick up your phone, wherever you are, wherever you live, pick up your phone, find the next open mic near you and just fucking go do it. 
you, you can always find a reason to put it off, but once you do it, you're going to know after that first time, whether it's something you want to keep doing or not. So just fucking do it. AJ, it's been a pleasure having you on. This has been awesome. We, we really love having you. You've been phenomenal. And I'm really excited for all everything going on for you. Like, I'm super excited for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for you. I want to live vicariously <laughs> through you. You're living my dream to some extent. I've, I've really enjoyed this uh, conversation, man. It's, um, it's been eye-opening. Thanks so much for having me, you guys. Sorry about the delay. Oh, no, no worries. Man. No, no, dude. Fuck it. No, this <laughs> no is well worth it. Yeah. I will gladly <laughs> wait around for two hours to get this every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah man aj where, where can our listeners find you at uh instagram facebook where, where can i uh, get all your links yeah so instagram and facebook uh just search aj wilkerson comedy twitter is captain autism with the underscore at the end tiktok i'm captain autism with the underscore at the beginning captain autism <laughs> i don't know there aren't too many of us so you can probably you just search captain autism. do you have a lieutenant autism yet <laughs> Lieutenant autism. Quick, quick question. Did you choose Captain Autism for your, your time in the military or for like comic book shit? Neither. Actually, Chris Cope gave me the nickname okay. of Captain Autism. So I did that feature spot for him. During his show, he taught, he like asks the audience if anyone has their medical marijuana card. Well, I had a bit about getting my medical marijuana card. So I raised my hand and he's like, yeah, we know you do Captain Autism. Who else has one? And then he's like, he said it. <laughs> and then he just started laughing on stage. And like in the middle of his act, he stopped. You have, that has to be the name of your first special. And I was like, okay, bet. <laughs> and then I just started adapting it and I started using it for in different bits and stuff. And, but, uh, so that's where Captain Autism came from, but I have been thinking about like, so technically Forrest Gump was the captain of the shrimp boat. So I just need to find a legless dude that can be my Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> so if I, if there's a comedian out there that hears this with no legs, hit me up, buddy. We've got an act to take on the road. <laughs> Put a Craigslist ad out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Funny guy with no legs. <laughs> Nothing sexual. <laughs> New legs, Lieutenant Dan, need not apply. I need first mate, Lieutenant Dan. I need a wild man. All right, AJ, I do appreciate you coming on. This is... Thank you guys for having me again. No, this was awesome. Thank you guys so much. Absolutely, man. Thank you all for listening. If you would like to support the WWSD podcast, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash WWSD underscore podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Yeah, we're looking forward to, to your career. It's it's gonna be very awesome. I'm really excited for it. So don't fuck it up by overdosing <laughs> on heroin or something. <laughs> no overdosing on nicotine and weed. Got it. Yeah.